0: I hear the, the
1: store. You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio.
2: Very ch- Hi everybody, it is January 25th, 2016, on a really phenomenally snowy Monday night hey, snow. in downtown Sulbury Village on the banks of the completely frozen Primrose Creek, and we are your co-hosts, Bill That's Me and Nancy Hello Burns Everybody. on Future Theater Live, broadcasting on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network with our producer tonight. The Jackal, Angel Espino. Say hello, Angel.
1: Hello, Angel, and Bill and Nancy. And my Bill, you sound excellent tonight.
2: Oh, thank you. And our guest tonight, because this is a very sweet microphone, and our guest Indeed. tonight <laughs> is my old friend from the Stephenville Lights, uh, f- former Texas Mufon director Ken Cherry, who has his own radio show and has just written a novel about stevenville so he'll be joining us a little later
3: right it's called the stevenville ufos mm-hmm. and we will and bill and i were literally sleeping five ten minutes ago we just got up how cool is this and so angel angel who always gets in right 15 15 minutes maybe before the show today was in before us and we just came mm-hmm. in. And I was
1: I was there like counting the minutes. I was like, "Where is
2: Bill?" Coming James in right? hot. I'll tell you that coming yeah. in hot.
3: And I want to thank Danny for um, setting this whole show up tonight because he shout out to Danny. He's the guy. If yeah. you're listening, Danny. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much.
3: Yeah. So Bill, I think Bill sounds pretty sleepy. I think I'm probably I sound a little more awake. But that's no.
2: I'll tell you what. Um, I am trying not to sound too exuberant. <laughs> because uh, we're in the You're same succeeding. room, because our studio. Yeah. So, Yeah,
3: um, yeah. yeah we've got the old, we, I finally, um, this is the old studio, the one we used to have. And so, um, technology is kind of catching up. This was a little easier to set up than last time, and I think it sounds pretty nice. It does. We're in the same room, so I can kind of throw things at Bill and get his attention. He will not fall asleep on the show. Mm-hmm. I never have. Well, once. Yeah. Angel, has, have you ever fallen asleep whilst on a on a show?
1: I almost fell asleep once. I got to admit, I was dozing off. I probably did sleep for, for maybe five minutes. Luckily, it was uh, one of those guests that you ask him a question and he goes on for like thirty minutes without stopping. So yeah. I got a good. I, I probably got a good five, maybe ten minute nap in there.
3: Yeah. Well, those it's kind of guests good. are. Yeah, Bill was known for that before before <laughs> our <laughs> show started. But listen. um we were we we were going to stay up and watch the second half of the X Files tonight, but we were you know um, just took a nap because it's been it's been exhausting. Bill's been shoveling snow. We have Ugh. approximately we have about three feet. It looks like a solid three. What about you, Angel? Nothing? Wow. Any kind of weather down there?
1: Well, we survived the Arctic blast of the South for yeah. 2016. Temperatures are back to a, a frosty 79 degrees.
2: No. Uh-huh. I hate you. Well, From
1: 50 last night, it was, it was 50, we were all bundled up, it, it was crazy, but we we're back at a good 79, almost 80 degrees.
3: Well, you lost your power, I think, either yesterday or today, right?
1: I No, yeah, I did yesterday, for most of the day it was gone, it just kept going on and off, on and off, and then when we were about to do the show, uh, the round table show, about uh, maybe 20 minutes before, boom, went dead. Didn't come back for about an hour after that, so, missed the show.
3: I kept checking, but it was our old show in place of your show, I was sad i
1: I couldn't get on the computer I had no access
3: well that I, I tell you everybody should have sort of pals, I think in Skype or yeah yeah, I guess in Skype or something if you if you're not on, it's nice to let your pals know that your power's out, but um you know we don't even have that kind of situation well i let
1: everybody know that my power was out, and they were like, okay, we're
3: going home or we're doing uh, something else angel's voice you're losing Angel's voice. I will
2: need some volume in my earphones.
3: Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's see what I can do. Oh, I also have, I've mounted a handy little light. Wait, hang on. Yeah. Tell me. Okay. Can t- Let me know if you hear. See a little light. Okay.
2: I and, see the light, Nancy. I see
3: the okay, light. And you, Bill, need earphone enlargement.
2: Uh, yeah. I need volume up in earphone
3: probably too see that How's this? Yeah, angel talk. We'll, we'll worry about it. We'll worry about it. I yeah. think.
1: We, yeah. We, we, yeah. I mean, you sound fine to me, though.
3: Yeah, I think so too. Oh yeah, yeah, But yeah, and this is this is high level equipment, folks. So we are we're we're rolling we're rolling into the future with uh, rolling in that dough. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> so what did you think about X Files? What did you think about the very first last night? You. Honestly, I, I thought it was
1: brilliant, to be honest with you. I thought uh, it was a damn near masterpiece to bring a show back like that and uh, to really turn it upside down because, you know, the mythology has been about UFOs and aliens, and they really are turning that upside down with this episode and with this season, so
3: right. Well, Well, uh, as Lou pointed out um, earlier to me on Skype, that they're using the entire mythology that we've been developing for the last 16 years, right?
4: You Pretty much, yeah.
3: Okay, Bill, can you, can, you can't hear anything with Angel, or just you can't hear you me? You know, it's
1: funny, because uh, I don't know what you did, but...
2: Same room, but I can't hear Angel.
1: Yeah, and I there's like a little slight echo when I speak, a little tiny like glitch. Well, it's not, now it's gone, so I don't know if you're messing with the knobs or anything, but nope, I was no doing problem. it earlier. Yeah. Oh, there it is again. Never mind.
3: It's weird. I know that the the, the uh, wires that lay on the table are as delicate as can be, because you can't play with them. Yeah. Those wires again. So, because they're big, heavy things that go into the computer. Well, we'll see. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's. I wonder if we'll hear Ken. That'll be the big. That'll be the big thing that Bill will have to hear. Ken.
1: Yes. yes. That will be interesting. <laughs>
3: okay, so ask Bill a question. Let's see if he really can hear.
2: You, Bill okay.
1: Burns, what did you think about the X Files?
2: I, I can that? barely hear you, but uh, I'll tell you. I've been reading. Uh, I've been reading a lot about the. Um, What's going on in the X-Files? And uh, the funny thing to me is how very quickly, rather than going back to the X-Files of, let's say, 1993, 1994, 1995, those X-Files, uh-huh. they basically upended everything. And so now, now poor Mulder has to deal with the fact that what everybody is saying is a hoax is really – is a hoax, but there really were aliens, but what's being done now is hoaxing the aliens. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know what, I think Chris Carter might not be too far off on what really is the the, the case with ufology in general, uh, with a lot of it being a, a big hoax. Uh, And a lot of it, you know, coming from some nuggets of truth of a real crash somewhere, maybe Roswell, like they presented on the show. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth to what Chris Carter was writing in here, and it's amazing that he has really been, like, at the pulse of the ufology uh, thing since, you know, since the early 90s uh, with some of the stories that he's put out there. And this is just following that trend where this is a very possible scenario of what's been going on in ufology for the last 60 years or 70 years or longer.
3: Well, you know, I I think... um... I think it's a good idea. It's been a, it's been a long overdue to have Kevin Randall back on, but I want to have Kevin oh, yes. yep. back on. Yeah, well, Kevin is without a doubt. But Kevin and Stan, I guess, uh, in spite of the dream team, they really are the dream team of Roswell uh, people. And so I would like to hear what they think of the fact that this is perhaps uh, closer to the Nick Redfern idea of... Um, yes, that's yeah, true, yeah, yeah. And so I, I wonder, I really wonder, did they, are the earphones better? I did turn something up. Yeah, Bill says yes. Yeah.
1: Can you hear me though? Yes. See that.: All right, there we go. Yeah,
3: I think.: Yeah, um, this, this, this will work some way or some way or another. We will work this out. But yeah, I, I had a hard time I had a really hard time with the very first scene with Dana Scully, and I think it's because Bill and I have been watching the old X-files almost ah. every night. And so, and they did it on purpose. So many yeah. times they would focus on her little hair, her hair ponytail thing. You
4: right, know? right, yep. They
3: did that, and when she turned around, it was really like there is a character on the He-Man series, I think, a he- uh, called Skulder. Skulder, Skulder, S K U L D E R. On Look He-Man. There's a series called He-Man, and I think there's well, the, a
1: the, car- the cartoon Masters of the Universe He-Man
3: he-man yeah somebody was saying that there's a character named well anyway so skelly is so skeletal skelly well, ske- no
1: there's there's skele- skeletor
3: there's skeletor but there's also S K S C U L D.
1: no i think you're just thinking about skeletor that's the main bad guy
3: no no no. i'll tell you right now i'm looking it up as we speak because i did write it down um this was on belgab if uh, anybody's taking notes. It was S K U L D E R. Is the He Man is in the He Man shows? Someone corrected someone else. Scolder, Scolder is must be a character in the He Man shows. Okay, it's anyway, but I,
1: so- I you know, I, it's funny because I'm a huge. Well, I was a huge fan He-Man. as a kid of He Man, and I don't Sk- even remember that character, Scolder, S K U L D E R.
3: Yeah, yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I was really surprised at at. Um, at the, at that long opening shot of uh, Dana Scully
3: well, of Julian Anderson it was pretty horrible because, yeah it was I mean and, and another thing of course you her hair is creepy they have her hair done in a kind of <laughs> creepy kind of greasy kind of hang their way and I just want to get out of you know off the couch and go over and get a brush and fluff. well she
1: you know she is you know a doctor she's not really supposed to be glamorous either you know it's
3: I know, well... well, Just the
1: way she looks, you know?
3: Yeah. And they're much
1: older, you know, you're talking about almost 15, 20 years older. Yeah,
3: but you'll see, you'll see see that um, as the series goes on, they'll probably get some glamour shots or something, I hope, but... I still think she's hot, though, to be honest. Yeah, Lou, Lou called in. Oh, congratulations to our friend Steve Warner. He did his first live show last night. It was a test show, and he's testing it out, and Lou called in and mentioned that... He feels that Scully actually looks kind of sexy now. She was kind of, I guess, always kind of not that interesting to him as a grown-up when she was a young girl, but now as a mature woman,
1: she has always been sexy to me. I'll tell you that much.
3: Well, I've always loved um, what's his face Duchovny, and Duchovny has the whole series called Californication under his belt. That you know, he's made a name for himself as a sexual weirdo, not a weirdo. you know, a guy who can't stop having sex. Hypersexual.
2: Hypersexual. Right. Yeah. So. <sighs>
1: and by the way, supposedly that wasn't uh, just uh, him playing a part. He's actually very, very much into the whole sexual activities.
2: Yeah. Right, so I've heard, yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. for sure because I don't want to. Well, that's his, <laughs> That's his defenses. disparage disparage
5: his reputation.
1: Oh, we have a caller four one nine. You're live on Future Theater. Turn on your turn hey. on your radio, and you're live.
5: Oh, it's off. How are you doing, guys? Hi, howdy. howdy,
3: buddy. Hi, is this Danny? No,
5: it's nope. Frog. Hey, Frog. Weissfrog. How are you? Hey, White
3: Frog. What's up, buddy?
5: What's up? Oh, the X Files was awesome, wasn't it? Did, yeah, you, see tonight's
2: did, did episode? you see tonight's
5: episode, of Wild yeah. Frog? La- well, last night's episode was awesome. But the thing that yep. about it that really got to me was last night and tonight was, it, you would expect a, a, a conclusion to last night's show tonight.
0: Yeah.
5: It went completely somewhere else. Really? Yeah. It was like they said too much of the truth last night, so they decided to just go ahead and start airing the series. Wait,
3: was tonight sort of the <laughs> Monster of the Week kind of show? I
5: hope not. To, well, I th- well, I thought that it was a two-parter last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's what him. I thought, too, because of the
3: girl. With
1: the, well, school, or the stupid... Well, school. remember, the, uh, not to give anybody away any spoilers, but the girl <laughs> blows up at the end, so... Yeah, that's right. right exactly. there, there's, the girl there's not a band any the end, there's not a band and, anymore and, girl, yeah.
5: Yeah, the girl died at the end, and I thought that... That it was going to be a conclusion to what took place last. They blew up the aircraft, the, mm-hmm. the UFO ship that they right. that was human made. They killed the girl off, and it acted like it was going to go be continued tonight, and it just went off in a different direction. But everything. Well, they they, still, started,
1: they restarted the X Files, right? That's where they, they went. Re, tonight. It, yeah, that was like a they
5: guess. restarted the X Files. Right. It went in the direction of uh, children being genetically modified, uh, without giving any spoilers away. Well, actually, no. That's part.
1: That's even part of what they were talking about yesterday, where the babies. Right. Well, that's
2: part of the series. I mean, right, that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, this is exactly. It's almost as if they're taking a playbook out of um, one line of the whole UFO lore, right? Which is the breakaway society. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's right. oh, that's what you're
2: doing. Well, yep. Richard Dolan jumped onto that, but that was something that. um yeah,
3: I think he invented it. No,
2: I don't That's think so.
3: I'm not <laughs> sure, but um, he certainly uh, was the first person to popularize it. It's a train it.
2: he rides, but I mean, this is something that. Um,
3: but I truly have never heard of it until uh, one night Alfred was at a, Alfred Lindbergh was at a conference with Dolan and sat with him afterward, and said that in private conversation his hair just stood up on end it's like he really is an insider and he really does know things and that's where the breakaway civil that's the first time i heard of it the breakaway civilization in other words there are people who as usual have more than the rest of us like they have a, an escape route for example if uh, plan b has to be put into effect so to speak yeah.
1: Plan B from outer space. Plan B. Pla- well, yeah. Planet
3: 9. No- I mean, did you guys on Skywatchers last week? I don't think... Do you talk about Planet 10 very much? Planet Plan- Planet 9.
1: Planet 9. Planet 9. No, we talk- haven't Niburu. talked about it.
3: Niburu.
2: No. Yeah.
1: yeah. Niburu, yeah. Yeah.
3: You mean, yeah, you mean and Planet also- X?
1: Are you talking about Planet X or the movie Planet 9 from outer space or whatever? No,
3: no, no. The whole thing. But the fact that supposedly the Wait, science... What? Well, the, the scientists right it's now... It's the new planet they've
1: discovered. Yeah, yeah. The planet, you know, the, the ninth planet that they think is... The th- which is ridiculous because it's the ninth planet that it's not planet X, which is a Roman numeral for 10. So hence it's not planet 10, planet but, X. But if
3: you put Pluto
1: back in the lineup... Well, maybe yeah. if you put Pluto back in there, then this is actually planet 11 because you got a clown Sedna who's
2: bigger than Pluto. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what they're calling planet 9. That's the stupidest thing in the world. You have Pluto, which is a small planet, and then you've got Zedda. right? And then you've got this other planet, big planet. So it's I think like, they found
1: a couple of different planets around Pluto's size, are a
2: little bit bigger out there. So they should just call the planet Nibiru and get it over but with. But you realize, real. don't,
3: you realize, don't you, that this is science of the worst kind? This is science that suggests there's something there, just like the whole UFO, UFO, UFO field. UFO field It's suggesting something is there by the absence of other things, or by the bending of light. You know, they're not seeing. This thing that we 're talking about this planet. right right right, 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 right. they 're not seeing it, and that 's the part i don 't get mm-hmm. how could they how could they feel confident that light is bending around something you know
2: Well, it 's the effect of gravity it 's the effect of there's something there they don 't know what it is, so they measure what the gravity it's, it makes sense can,
1: i deep I, down, I feel that they actually have a method of actually getting close-up shots of these planets with the, with some hidden telescope they're not telling us about. So they have a pretty good idea of what's out there. They could probably get really good shots. We just not, are not told what they're seeing.
3: Well, oh, that's a sad way to think, actually. Because you're thinking that, you know, you're too small on the on the list of things. You know, like, we're not being told stuff.
1: But Nancy, isn't that the whole part of the conspiracy of ufology? That, that is the conspiracy. Stuff?
3: Don't don't
1: tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly.
3: but suggesting that there's a. Um, by
1: the way, Weisfrog, are you at McDonald's or something? What's going on in the background there? Okay, never mind.
2: Yeah, frog? Uh, yeah, get me a Diet Coke,
3: Weis. He's, he's in the swamp, and and by the way, there is. Uh, let's talk I'll about have a Coke Zero. Chat. Let's talk about the chat situations, shall we? Sure. You guys have if you guys want to chat whilst the show is on, you have some options now. You can go to psn-radio.com to get started. Right.
1: Yep. Yep, yep,
3: and 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 you could also you,
1: get can, Skype chat on there. Yes, yeah, I'm still not
3: clear yep. on that. How does one find the Skype chat? Well, it's got to do with hovering.
1: Yes, you have to hover, not like a hoverboard. But what you do is you go to the psn-radio.com website and where it says "Listen in Live Chat," you can either click it and go directly into our main chat room, or you can just hover over it with your mouse. It'll drop down where it says Skype Chat. Click on that, and boom, you're entering our Skype chat, and you'll be joining everybody in there. And nice. uh, somebody who frequently is in that Skype chat is the one and the only Mr. Chris Brown, who just joined us here. Chris, yes. welcome to the uh, show, Future Theater, my friend.
3: Well, you're wait. Fine, oh. Chris, but wait, hang on one second. Sure. Before yep, we yep. Leave the chat, mm-hmm. Wise Frog himself has a chat that we can all use. Well, yes? we're, we've
1: been talking to Wise Frog uh, about maybe okay. – uh, Doing some, okay, something and that's, together okay. But, but that's um, that'll be different that'll be uh, we do something like that it'll be replacing the chat we have now Okay
3: but 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 there's one more there is a tel- a telephone number I I'm going to give it to you now Oh oh
2: give it yeah. give it to us Yes ahead, for call, in. Folks, call in folks call-in if you want to talk to Ken Cherry or to us yes. Ken Cherry
3: Yes and the number is write it down 786 245 8127 Mhm yeah yeah yes.
2: Yes. yes yes yeah She got it Bill it is right on the website, so if you go to the Theater website, or you can hear the show live, you will see the phone number.
3: Yeah, so those are some ways, and the, the believe it or not, if you really are into the show and into this topic, you can kind of hang around that chat, either chat, all week long if you want, and if somebody comes in, you can get some information. If you have a specific question, you can certainly put it there, and somebody will try to uh, get you answers, and... Uh sometimes we put pictures up on Facebook pages, I, I understand. But I, um, Angel, what Facebook page is, is it called Future Theater Facebook page or something?
1: I, I, should, I think it's just Facebook. You should really know this, by way, by the way. But huh? It's, uh, I believe, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Future Theater.
3: Something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. pretty
4: easy.
3: Pretty so, simple. Chris, did you yes. see X-Files?
4: Yes, I've seen half of it. Well, I guess maybe half of it because I had it recorded on my, um, you know, on my DVR. But the game was on too, and then that came I, on there. Oh, uh, you're, you're, yeah. You're, you're the yeah, you're one of those. Yeah, you're one of those that had to like you know sit through the game. Yeah, and I re- it's really enjoying it. And so it was, uh, you well, know, where it was, did
3: it, cu- where did it cut off? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, wait a minute.
4: I thought it came on after the game. It did. It did. But see, the- did, the- but came, like, see on- I had it on DVR. I had it recording and, and it came when the game came on. It was over. Oh, and then was like oh, half I hour see layover, Right. Because <laughs> you gave it a. T- yes. Mm hmm. So it's, it's, uh, well, I'll see it again. And, and I'm excited because, you know, I mean, like I say, as you're talking about, it's got all, you know, a lot of things that we know through the UFO, you know, industry. And here I am. Here I think of, I can't help but not think of my, my vision of the orb and all that. So maybe one day that's Chris Carter will, will read my Sublimity Close Encounter report and boom, who knows. But I was going to tell you, you mentioned earlier about, about the He-Man, the skelier, skeletor. Was, yeah, that's Skeletor. what I was saying. Yeah. No, there is a okay.
3: skeleton, but somebody said there's a s K U L no, no, it
4: was just skeleton. They're I'm, a, I'm,
1: a, I'm a big fan of uh, of He Man, believe me, That was one of my that was actually my favorite cartoon as a kid growing up. Uh next is Silverhawks and um I, I'm pretty I'm pretty positive there's no character by that name.
3: No wait. now now we have someone in the chat who's saying and and this is Benjamin. He's been in the chat before. Something about he's not calling in until they allow they allow us plain old Skype. I wonder what that means. Are you allowing? Uh, I don't know. not to, are you telling people not to call in a certain way on Skype? Does that they, ring?
1: They, they can call any way they want. I don't, I don't care.
3: Okay. Well.
1: Because Skype, um, to Skype, uh, but it, to Skype to Skype, you just got to look us up. Uh, it's very simple. Just look up PSN Radio on your Skype search or uh, Soup Media Network. Either one would. Find us and just uh, Skype us, uh, send me a friend request, I'll put you on.
3: That's you because when you, first, when you first sign up to Skype, uh, you really can't change anything. You have to, you'd have to quit that number and everything and that name yep. and yep. start yep. all over. All so if over you again. said Super Media Network with underlines, you're going to be sorry you did, you say. Oh, yeah. 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 So just- no, but I think,
1: I, I think most folks could actually find it by just looking at PSN Radio. Well, that's good because
3: it, it's yep. a, it's it's smarter than it used to be. I mean, if it Correct. didn't have, if you didn't write it exactly, um, uh, see. Okay, so, uh, so I'm I'm not going to read Skype. I can't understand what they're saying, but they're saying nice <laughs> things. Yeah, um, but but Chris, where did they cut off? Um, wh- how far did you get? Do you remember where it was rudely cut off?
4: Um, it was. Uh I'm sitting there trying to go back on my head. It wasn't that far into it. It was just right after, um, he had went and got together with, with Scully. She was at the doctor's or she was at a nurse. She got a call yeah, and then he met up with her and then they were, yeah. And then it was kind of in the midst of that is, is, um, she was talking to, to him on the cell phone. She was talking to, and, um, he was telling her something, and then the, she was riding in a limo with some guy. And then th- that's okay, what. happened. That's,
3: that's an so, important point right there. The guy she was riding with is right. the character. That's the, that's that, the Alex yeah.
4: Jones type that they
1: have
3: on the show. Yeah, he's yeah. the Alex Jones type. He would be the little ray of sunshine type of guy, right? Right, 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 right. right. In the yeah. old days, he would be Art Bell. Um, but a, a lot of people are criticizing that he's too young. Know, okay, first of all, do you guys think he, he didn't get blown up? No, no spoilers, but... W- is is Weistrock still on the on the line? Wisefrog no. no, he, he cut off a while back. Okay, yeah. so saw tonight, and I wondered if they finalized that storyline with the guy, the other guy. The um, what are we going to call the guy? guy like, uh, the Tres, tres No, 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 not the other. Oh.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he's <laughs> tell Bill what you call him. That's so that's so bad.
1: Oh, we call him. Well, I don't call him. His parents call him that. It's, it's not my fault. Really, his parents. Yeah, when they when he was little. Uh, my co-host on uh, Sky Watchers Radio, uh, as you know him as Alan Weiler, his parents actually nicknamed him as a kid tres Leche. <laughs> it, tres leches is a Cuban uh, dessert. It's made with three milks, three different types mm-hmm. of milks. Right. And uh, he is so pasty and white, I guess that his parents decided to nickname him tres Leche. He well, was, by-
2: oh, wh- wait 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, I
1: thought
2: you gave him that name. I th- yeah. No,
1: no, 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 no.
2: He's Jewish. Why would his parents give him a Spanish name?
1: Well, he lived in Miami his whole life, so you know it's kind of like rubbed off on him, I guess. I don't know. Do oh, so the- you guys know each other in real life? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we've we known each other for over a decade plus. But here's the funny thing about him. Uh, when you look at him and you think of the name Tres Leche, it really does fit. I mean, it really does. Yeah,
3: it does. I've never met him, but I've seen his photo, and he is very, very white. Very yes. pasty. Yes, he's a pasty. Very white, pasty very fellow. white. And that's that's Tres Leches. Today's leches. Today's leches. leches.
1: Which it, it's ironic because I, I love that dessert. Like yeah. A taste There's a dessert. lot of sugar in that,
2: right? It's like a creme wow. brulee with. Oh, it's so good.
3: Yeah. Well, okay, so we have the guy, his name, uh, thank you, Lou. Lou says his name is O'Malley, is the broadcaster's name. O'Malley,
6: and O'Malley correct. O'Malley yep.
3: sort of sits there in the uh, limo and lays pipe. It's called laying. Uh-huh. You know, but in this case. It's oh, I've, the pipe. I've
1: laid pipe before. Yeah,
3: so yeah okay, so that, it's the pipe of our lives. It's the, it's that's the right. point of every show we do here. I mean, I, I think we're the she only. lucky that's
1: what she says. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but I don't, there aren't that many UFO shows who are trying to uncover the truth. I mean, we, we will have people on. Like, for example, when I was researching Ken, I found out that he's, there's two, there's not, there must be two sides to a story or two sides to how he came into the UFO field because the very first um, URLs you'll come to will be negative. And I, I'm sure Ken would want to address that. It's not very negative. It's so minor negative. But it tells you about the UFO field. I mean, they basically say he shouldn't criticize MUFON. Okay. Or he shouldn't stand up for MUFON. I don't know which side he's on. Well, f-
2: first of all, well, Ken- that's silly. No, no. See, here's the, here's the deal. Ken was at a certain point at MUFON. When uh, Robert Bigelow was kind of moving in, and he was buying, he was financing Mufon, buying their files, and there was a whole flap. And I remember this because he was on Future Theater years
3: ago. There was a whole flap. No, about- you know what? I cannot. I think I do remember Ken being on. Also, right? I believe that is the only show I've ever lost. I think it was very early in. Oh,
2: it it, it was early. Um, in. And maybe
3: Ken will remember. But I no, think but it was we like- were here.
2: Oh. We were in this room well, it's not on, this, uh, on this apparatus. But here's what happened. There was this amazing fight that broke out in MUFON. I remember James Carrion was then uh, the director right. of MUFON. Right. And the fight was between the quote unquote old guard and the quote unquote young Turks. And it was a fight where. Which was Carrion? Well, Carrion was kind of caught in the middle of the thing.
3: I mean, you wasn't could, he. Well,
2: started, no,
1: wait, he well, but when you say the Young Turks, you mean like the guys on YouTube, Young Turks?
3: No, 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 no,
2: no. No, no, no. What I mean is there were younger guys who were criticizing the original old guard from Mufan.
3: And in fact... Oh,
2: gotcha, gotcha.
3: In fact, we had... Well, uh, Jesse. Jesse is uh, a proponent of this, if I'm not mistaken. Jesse Randolph. That- well, yeah,
1: the, uh, the new guard.
3: Yeah, the new guard, the old guard, right. Young Guns. Yeah, young young guns. guns. Young Guns. Going to get the can, I be, can
1: I be Billy the Kid if we're going to play Young Guns?
3: Yeah. No, Billy here is Billy the Kid. You would have to be somebody else. You'd have to be... Not put- Charlie
1: Sheen, though. Look how I ended no. up with him. I don't want to be that character.
3: Well, you could be the guy at the end of Apocalypse Now with your haircut the way it is.
1: That's true. That's you know,
3: you car. could take some photos, some some publicity photos with your face kind of halfway out of water. You ought to try that. Since you're in Miami.
2: Right. Creepy. Instead of Charlie Sheen, you could be Martin Sheen.
3: Yeah. Anyway, just sort of always thinking ahead because... Well, you know,
2: they, they are Latin, so
1: there are Estevez.
3: Yeah, or that's
2: true. It is Estevez, and right? You've seen I guess I am
1: destined to be, to be the Charlie Sheen. That's what my destiny is. Yeah, well, you no. could
2: be Emilio Estevez
1: if you want.
3: You could be the girl.
2: If yeah, you but want.
1: nobody likes it's Emilio Estevez. to
3: be the girl. Um but here but so here's you know, so okay, go back to Carrion. Uh his name Carry uh carry on was um okay, what I'm referring to here, and Ken probably knows about this, is a thing called UFO Media Matters. And it's a blog that isn't being done anymore. So it kind of and it's a fellow named Joseph Cap. Now, interestingly enough, very long piece, uh very unhappy with uh Ken and I, I and it really does and so I want to ask Ken about this. I'm sure he will. Right. Wants, well, see,
2: what know. was happening was because of the influence of Robert Bigelow.
3: Right. Or maybe and- concurrent
2: with the influence of Robert Bigelow and the financing of Move Fund, there was a move to push out some of the older members from their directorial positions. And there was a, a lot of argument about it, and so well, how do
3: you know that there was a move to push out people
2: because I spoke to Ken about it, and I, and I spoke to a number of people who were among the old guard john well John Schusler was getting very sick, but I mean so there was that move, and I had spoken to John Ventry about it and a few others about why there was such a reaction to some of the older members, the older mm-hmm. members in key positions and state and state directors at MUFON.
3: Any names that we know? Not off the top of your head. No, right?
2: no, I can't think of any off the top of my head.
3: And we're talking 2008 approximately, because that's when well, Stevensville happened in January, just like now, 2008, and it rocked the UFO world. Stevensville, the Stevensville incident. Right. Angel, do you do you know about this incident? Yes. No. Very little. Okay. Well, good. Uh, tonight is going to be an education. Um, and if I can figure out if we had Ken on before, I can see if I lost that show. Um, I have him I, in the course of putting the two. I, I one show did get lost when I was doing the Nori novel. Bill did three or so, three or four months all by himself. And um,
2: well, the shows I did by myself were in the other room, so it wouldn't have been Ken alone because it was in
3: here. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Ken will remember. It could happen. It could happen.
2: Right, but a, a, a lot of what happened in Stephenville.
3: Okay, 2008. 2008. So, it's now what? Uh, eight,
2: it's now 2016. So, it's eight, been eight years. Eight
3: years. Okay. Um, and that's, that's a question, you know, why did, why did he write a novel about this incident and why did he wait eight years? These are going to be the cool questions cool kid questions like you, Danny. Well,
2: I know there were a lot of issues that arose out of Stephenville. I remember there was an, the issue of each person, and, and we'll let Ken talk about this, but I, can, I was there, so I can certainly talk well, about it. Well,
3: basically what happened was there was an amazing monster sighting of a vehicle that, it, I don't, um, it, it, certainly not orbs. There are no orbs involved in all of Stephenville. I no, think. I mean, I, I
2: actually saw the video. That the constable took, we actually eventually wound up seeing this thing. What are you doing? I'm sitting up because my side is hurting. It, um, it. I actually saw this vehicle, <laughs> the uh, uh, the video of this vehicle. It was taken from the dash cam of uh, a police unit. And the problem was that when we went to talk to, I'm trying to think of the constable's name, and I just don't have it off the top of my head. But when we went to interview him, the issue was who owned that video to the point where that person could license it to the History Channel.
3: And okay, so… And, and, and it very well may turn out that this video ended up being in dispute and one of the negative things about Stephenville. But anyway, Stephenville, the point of it is sort of like the Phoenix Lights. An entire <sighs> community with very valuable people in the community saw – you have a mute button. If you have to clear your throat, you do have a mute button. Por four.
2: yes. Yeah, it's right here.
3: Okay, do that and then go and make terrible sounds. I'm fine.
4: <laughs> because they're coming. But wouldn't your mic pick it up, though, Nancy? You're like, you know, that, well, see that? you're right next door there, Nancy. These are very sensitive mics.
3: No, um, here's the weird thing. We are within, if I held out my arm and Bill held out his arm, we could almost touch. We could not. Well, we almost could. There's another whole person in between. But, 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 but mm-hmm. this is equivalent to being at the same table with another person in the room like Joe Rogan is sitting right in the room with someone else. Well,
2: right, that just right, that right. That, uh, that just harshed my mellow.
3: Well, no, no, no. We have to kind of.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a bad to... example, Nancy. You, no, you
2: no, no. Know. I, no.
3: I never want to see this person again. That's exactly. I, I don't. I
1: never want to hear that name again either. Like, no,
3: let's... no, no. We're gonna. Him hey, another ray of
1: sunshine should just be stricken from the. We're like, gonna the mend banks. all these
3: fences. I have to. No,
1: find... no, no. no it's worth
3: it. With... Because I like Joe Rogan and watch him for. Only when he crawls across the floor
2: on yes. grass that I will leave to apologize. Oh, come
3: on.
1: I'm with Bill on that one. Yeah. And he has to eat some rotten animal parts, like, you know, if you're.
2: No. I mean, his producer His producer calls me up. This is, this is the thing. His producer calls me up out of nowhere one night and says, Say, Bill, uh, I produced uh, that show. You were on with Joe Rogan. I said, Good, I'm hanging up. So he says, no, 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 no. I'm calling you to apologize. Uh, you were set up. I said, oh, really? Gee, I didn't figure that out. So he says, no, no, no. It's true. It was a big setup, but I want to ask you a question about time travel. So we have this involved conversation about time travel. He says, gee, thanks, but I can't have you on the show. Goodbye. Really? Yeah. Wonderful,
3: guys. Okay. Well, so you have you have your reasons, but I happen to find him very useful if I'm trying, he gives good interviews. If it's on the Sci-Fi Channel, I don't have a mute. And now, okay, I'm going to cough. I'm going to turn away and cough, like in cough away, Nancy. Go ahead, cough away. What, what is that song where that got a uh, chocolate song, the Chocolate Rain? And I'm
1: chocolate to, rain. I'm
3: going to turn away and cough, or I'm going to turn away and breathe in. I think is what he says.
1: I can't believe that that guy actually became famous.
3: Of that Absolutely, song. and it's and on, on the uh, on the Golden Globes. Golden Globes, the first. The Golden Globes is the best show for dresses after the Met Ball. If anybody's listening who's female and knows what I'm talking about, no uh, idea. Uh, uh, well, but the Golden Globe and then oh. the Oscars are sort of like sporting events for women. Because you get to see other women who have all okay, their
1: uh, anyway, Nancy, we're, we're, before, yeah. before you continue, real quick, before you continue, sorry to cut you off. Uh, real sorry to cut you off. Um, I'm getting bombarded here by the <laughs> PSN chat.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, all 17 participants are trying to call at once from the chat itself. Look, guys, you cannot call us from the chat because if I pick up, 17 people will be on the line with us. Oh,
3: yeah. See, you're not in the chat to phone. You're in the chat to talk to each other. That's what we Correct. call. Correct. If yeah, you want to call call individually. You have to call we'll one at a on time. It. You have to call one at a time. Also, Sorry. I don't Continue, know how Nancy. to. I don't know how to. Ooh, I don't know how to do anything with this chat. Neither does Danny.
1: Well, is Danny, we we right
3: now sleeping, I believe.
1: I think so. We got Ken waiting on the uh, waiting chair. Uh, we, we need to take a break. It's ready. Oh, past okay, the fine.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't sure. have my uh, my watch with me, so uh somebody's Okay, got let's to call do that. that. Let's take a break. Okay, so here's the deal. We are going to take. Uh, we are we are going to. Um, Take a break for these important messages and come back with our guest, Ken Cherry, Yay. retired MUFON director, state director of Texas. So, we are your co hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy, Bird, on Future Theater, on PSN Radio, the Dark Matter Digital Network, and we are back with Ken Cherry.
0: 854 abductions by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there and theufostore.com has it.
6: and more supermanhomepage.com
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, we are back on future theater live with really
3: good microphone with
2: really great setup and our guest Ken Cherry the retired former state Texas state director of Mufan and a novelist so Ken thank you for joining us um my first question obviously we uh, 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 we know each other we were both on site at Stevenville together what i wanted to ask you was i was very surprised when i saw that you had written the story of Stephenville as a novel. So I'm going to turn everything
6: over to you and just explain why it's a novel. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Bill. Uh, the purpose of my book is to expose uh, what I consider to be the greatest deception of all time. Um, the The book is written as a novel because over a period of time, I received so many calls from uh, people who had information about what had taken place there and and uh, witnesses. And I, I, I stopped counting at 150 calls. I wow. mean, well, can, it, it went can, on for months. Yes. Can you yes.
3: scoot scoot a little closer to your microphone? And okay. also, can you tell us, uh, for those of us, uh, including Angel, who are not as familiar with the Hill story, can you start it from the very beginning, what happened?
6: Sure, sure. Um, about December of um, two thousand seven, yeah, two thousand and seven, uh, we began to get a very large number of UFO sightings in a small area, about four um, counties uh, in Texas. We have about two two hundred and fifty four counties, so it was it was already a pretty significant grouping. And um, on January the tenth of two thousand eight, I received a call from. Uh, uh, a reporter, an AP reporter, Angela K. Brown, has said, uh, "What do you think about this uh, story that has appeared in a small town paper there in Stephenville about, you know, a, a group of people who've seen this huge UFO? And what are you planning to do about it?" And I said, "Yes, we're we're planning to send a team down to investigate and to talk to the witnesses." And uh, at that point, she put out a. <laughs> a story on the AP that went worldwide.
3: But wait, Ken, were you interviewed for the very first story that appeared about it?
6: The very first story? Well, I was involved from the very beginning of it. No, uh, I mean,
3: the, the story that Angela was referring to, that uh, that appeared in the local paper, were you part of that? I mean, were you interviewed for that story?
6: Uh, no, that was... Um, that was Angela Joyner. That Angela Joyner wrote for the uh, Stephenville Empire uh, Tribune. Right. Trip. yeah and she had been a uh, substitute teacher in the high school there and was working part-time in the in the uh, newspaper and uh, uh, a gentleman came in and told about his uh, experience uh, he and a couple of friends uh, actually there were three friends uh, one of whom was also a long-term uh, American Airlines employee mm-hmm. um Steve uh, Allen was the gentleman who was a respected local businessman and also a, a private pilot. And so there were at least two people there in the group that uh, would be considered uh, trained uh, observers. But what they described was this massive uh, what, UFO that they said was about a mile long and a quarter mile wide uh, traveling at about 2,000 miles an hour. And uh, Steve estimated uh, the, the, um, the, the, the speed from the distance that it ca- uh, traveled across the horizon, and he knew how long uh, it took him to cross it in his private plane and what the speed and so forth. But the, really the controversial or the, th- the thing that got everybody's attention was not the, uh, their initial sighting, but when it came back uh, later later, it was being chased by uh, F-16s. Right. That he said were in afterburner, at which point the UFO took off and just sort of left them sitting there.
3: An afterburner means... Like
6: After a, means that they're just pouring on everything that they can. I mean, they're right. getting the maximum speed out of the airframe that it can take just about. So. And
2: then and then the Air Force at first denied they had F-16s in the air that How night, How many
3: right? F-16s were following this thing?
6: Well, I believe there were two following it, but uh, there were a total of uh, – uh, there were six or seven out on uh, night uh, flight.
3: Right, and now's a good time to mention the other – Places that are nearby, where those fighters could have come from, for example,
6: uh, there is a there was a old uh, strategic air command base Carswell that had been converted to a joint reserve base, which uh, had a, a number of uh, uh, aircraft squadrons there from the Air Force, from Navy, uh, Army, and so forth. Uh, so uh, that's where these particular crafts came from. Was from the Joint Naval Reserve Base. Um, uh, there's, uh, uh, also, um, a very large, uh uh, 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 army base nearby. Uh, Fort Hood actually is the largest, uh, right. military base in the country. Wow. Um, and they have some aircraft that fly in and right. out of there.
3: But, but, spe- but more specifically, which I put on the website, the Bush Ranch was nearby and also the superconducting supercollider, which means again, uh, they do, would they have jets they could scramble at those facilities at the Bush Ranch.
6: And no, no, and, uh, and this was pointed out to us a number of times uh, <laughs> by by some of the armchair ufologists that uh, you know followed the story and gave their opinion that oh. The ETs are here to uh, to visit the Bush, obviously. Right,
2: right. That was one of yeah. That was one of the yeah. This was a big moment where the ETs were letting George Bush know. Yeah, except uh, the except
6: the fact that the Bushes were not at the ranch that particular date. They're still out, you know, for the holidays. But uh, at any rate, uh, what sets this case apart is the fact that uh, there were so many. Uh, uh, people who viewed this thing that they were telling a consistent story and they would use uh, descriptions like it was as big as a a super walmart or larger than a battleship or an aircraft carrier and
4: was it was it a circular craft or was it was it a triangular craft
6: no it was uh uh, most of them described it as a, a in you know a lengthy craft uh, you know like the one mile long and the quarter mile wide sure. uh, that Steve Allen described well, so
3: Steve Allen it, the one who saw it from underneath the Linda Moulton Howe contact I believe the guy I think there was a special on TV about it maybe
6: uh well I don't, he was one of the people who was um, interviewed I believe in that I know what I saw now that particular gentleman. Um, I don't know what to say about that one, but I will say that there were witnesses that were more credible than others. We viewed his uh, video of it, and um, you know it was well. I'm going to be kind and just say. You know, it looked like the sun shining through clouds or something.
2: What about the dash cam video? You viewed that as well, right? Exactly.
6: And one of the problems that we had there is that there was so much uh, uh, tabloid journalism that was taking place. And uh, uh, one uh, reporter said that she had uh, access to some dash cam video that was taken by the constable Gaten uh, who had made a – uh, you know, he'd given us a report, and we'd verified his sighting. But later on, he said that when he was out doing night patrols, that his dash cam on three different occasions had picked things up. And anyway, this reporter said she had viewed the video, and one of them showed this craft with a diamond-shaped window, and there right, were cl- right. clearly aliens in it. And I think, oh. uh, <laughs> you know, there was a big... Uh, tug of war between you know the county releasing that because it was county property, but finally, Constable Gayton and I got to be uh, pretty close. He asked me to re- to view his videos, and uh, for his part, uh, Leroy never said that these were UFOs or ETs in there. He basically told me I don't know what I have. So I looked at them, and they used these old VHS tapes. And in uh, the, the cameras, two of the vid- two of the uh, uh, tapes had been copied over so many times that there there was nothing usable there. It was just, you know, just fuzz. The the third one that had been described as a UFO with E.T.'s in the window, uh, Leroy was uh, responding to an alarm. Uh, I don't know. It's about two o'clock in the morning in a strip mall. Right. And. And apparently he suddenly saw something and turned his cruiser that way and started driving toward it, going over the speed bumps and so forth, trying to adjust this camera, which is mounted on the on the dash and is not – I mean, it's mounted to be – it's not mounted to, to be movable, but he got it to move a bit. anyway, he finally focused on this object and – uh, to me, it was pretty clear that it was a street lamp just behind some, some uh, a tree line, mm-hmm. and so i mean it was a uFO with e t staring through it i mean if only if you could well, suspend well, all didn 't
2: he have a partner in the car with him that night too uh, riding along with him uh,
6: there was a there was another officer there too, yeah. but neither one of them i mean this object did not move. And right. it was it was a street lamp level, and it was clearly just like an old English, uh, you know, street light.
2: Well, but, but the funny, but but here's the funny thing. I'm just going to break it. But here's the funny thing about it: the one of the weird, it wasn't weird. One of the things to me, and I mean, you were caught in the middle of this thing. I mean, there was real, there was there was there were real sightings. And there were real measurements of these sightings. And there was real radar tracking of these sightings. But Angela Joyner, who really was not a reporter for the Gazette, the Empire Gazette. Right. She was kind of a a part-time receptionist, or whatever she was. She jumps on this story. And she starts reporting it. And then Angela Brown. I believe
3: she was a paid stringer. She was a real, that's a real slap.
2: No, no, no. That's a real slap. What I'm saying is that um, this was really, uh, she was covering like flower shows and stuff. She was covering feature stuff.
3: Right. There's nothing wrong with that. No,
2: that's no, no. no. I'm not criticizing it. I'm getting to a point. The, the point is that um, she begins covering this. Angela Brown at the AP picks this up. And she starts taking the story, and it gets national. The newspaper tells Angela Joyner, stop covering this stuff. She gets mad and says, don't tell me what not to cover. This is a real story. It's been picked up by the wire services. I'm covering it. And so suddenly the story gets bigger because you have a newspaper saying, we don't want to cover the story. And then the whole world descends on Stephenville.
6: Yes, and um, I got to know the editor of the uh, of the paper there very well and um, one of the problems with Angela's stories was these she any wild story that anybody would tell her uh, she wanted to print it and for the editor was brand new she'd just been sent there from San Francisco to turn the paper around and she kind of got uh, you know pushed into the first couple of stories, but after one of them was published where this fellow said that he had, you know, watched it through a, a scope of his rifle. Right. That's the, a- the, the, the lady, the editor's phone rang off the hook, emails, people came by there. Everybody said, this guy is not reliable. Everybody knows that in town. And she said the paper was losing credibility. And we were knocking down these stories one after another as my, uh, you know, my uh, people would uh, you know, analyze them and find out exactly what they were. And it, it was just, you know, it was a bunch of nonsense. But I want to make the point, though, that this goes way, way beyond uh, that all that hubbub there. One of the things that happened was, in, 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 and I, I, get, I acknowledge you and the, the UFO hunters in the front of my book for good reason, My own uh, organization began to deny us assets that we needed badly. Uh, For one thing, they took our uh, our radar specialists away.
5: You're Uh, talking
6: about MUFON? Yes, MUFON, to be clear about it. And a number of other things that were happening to undermine my investigation. And I would complain to the board and scream and holler. And I actually confirmed them in in person at one point, you know, in front of the board. But at any rate, um, so lo and behold, uh, Bill and the UFO hunters came and uh, offered their support, and I gladly accepted it. And, you know, I got a a consultant in who is a retired uh, uh, meteorologist, Mr. William Puckett, who got the… Bill Puckett, yep. Yeah, yeah, who who did our radar work for us and uh, uh, um, brought in… a number of other specialists, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Bruce uh, McAbee.
2: Wasn't and, Gary Schulte involved in that as well?
6: Well, that's a different story. You're talking about uh, Schultz, the uh, the radar specialist. That, yeah, uh, yeah that he was uh, directly reporting to the MUFON board instead of to us. And so here while we're being denied our most critical uh, uh, you know, scientific tool, uh, it was going directly to the board, and frankly, that report that he did was was uh, um, available to them weeks before it was made public, and uh, it was also filtered on to other people. But at any rate, um, once I began to look into the nature of the board, uh, all of the affiliations with uh, former uh, Alphabet agencies uh, – up and down through the ranks, and th- even from the very beginning, uh, that's when I decided, you know, to, uh, to leave. But at any rate, uh, again, going back to the publicity, uh, there, were, there was a time when I had uh, three uh, network uh, 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 vans in front of my home waiting, you know, for each intern to come in and interview me. Uh, there were newspaper articles all over the country, daily magazine articles, TV.
3: Well, during that the, time, but the, you, let me make
6: act- this point though, uh, that what that did was opened up and gave me the opportunity to to get take calls from people who some of uh, the whistleblowers were CIA, NSA, scientists from Area Fifty One, uh, S Four uh, Area. Uh, NASA scientists, uh, military, and that's basically where I, I, I garnered most of the information for the book. I, I'm oh, sorry, okay. Nancy, go ahead. Go ahead, Nancy.
3: No, I was. I, what I was. It doesn't. That. That's an amazing thing. What you just said.
6: Well, that's the whole point of my book. And it's, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, uh, and how did you come to find out that they were, in fact, CIA and NSA? Uh,
6: Well, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, Well, let me go back and give just a a tiny bit of history. In 1952, there was a major UFO flap uh, that uh, led to uh, the Robertson panel uh, that uh, was put together by the CIA uh, to look into the UFO situation and their their recommendation from the Robertson panel included a number of things, um, but one of their recommendations was that all of the information about the UFOs and ETs and all of this sort of thing should be housed, you know, should be turned over to the CIA. And rather than, um, you know, uh, consolidating the information, what that really did was set off a turf war uh, among agencies within the U.S. government that went on, um, according to one of my sources, well into the 70s. Uh, this lady I met, she was retired at a UFO conference, and um, uh, we got to know each other quite well, and she said that when she had just finished her master's, she was approached by a CIA um, a recruiter, and they offered to um, uh, to pay for her uh, doctorate and uh, give her a nice job with Bell Labs, and uh, that would be her cover job. And so um, she, uh, uh, she said she worked in a laboratory that was so secret they weren't even te- uh, able to tell anybody where they parked in the building that had no windows in it. Um, and and what,
3: what era would this be?
6: Uh, yeah, I'm getting to that. So uh, she said her boss, that she was on a, um, a a chart there at Bell Labs, but her boss knew better than to ask her where she was, you know, if she wasn't in you know, on a given a day. But um, aside, she said they developed the cell phones that, that were used by uh, uh, our intelligence agencies long before they were made public. But at any rate, one day she met, she got a call, it was her first assignment uh, from her CIA handler, said, uh, Here are these coordinates we want you to be, you know, in two days. And uh, your job is just to observe. And so she drove, uh, it was a couple of states away. And um, at the appointed time, at this point of coordinates, she was sitting there with her uh, binoculars and, you know, waiting to see what happens. And suddenly this, Um, black craft um, triangular shaped craft just came down vertically over this bluff and it was silent she said the next thing she knew this cart came out with all these men you know jumpsuits and so forth they're transferring something from the cart to this craft after they're completed the craft shot off into the air and uh, you know again silently the men disappeared Uh, Two things that she told me that were very uh, enlightening about that is, one, that this was at Dulce, and secondly, this was 1974, and that this uh, craft was developed by another very compartmentalized uh, uh, area of the government, and the CIA was actually spying to see what others had. So our agencies were spying on each other. As late as the seventies, so
3: oh, wow, so they still must be.
2: And then, did she ever figure out, or was she ever told, or did she learn what was in those carts?
6: No, no, um, no, no. They they told her just to observe, and apparently, is she still they,
3: among the living, is she still
6: with us? No, she died of uh, breast cancer. Uh, anyway, she went to uh, she went to uh, Russia as part of her on a. Uh, Um, you know, educational transfer thing um, as part of her doctoral. And uh, she said back in those days, the early 70s, that they considered everybody that came over on the exchange programs as uh, spies. Well, they were.
2: That was the reason.
6: Yeah. And she said the KGB handler that she had was very open about it, you know, that she actually met with her and showed her her dossier, and they opened it up. He opened it up, and she was amazed. She said, here I was, this young woman. I had no idea anybody. How could they have so much information on me? But they even told her they knew she was a lesbian. That was her term. And she says, you know, this is back. I wasn't public about it. I mean, you know, she was shocked that she could just have been oh, a private how did she come citizen. To, I
3: mean, how did how did these people come to you? Do you have yourself a background in intelligence?
6: No, no. I I was in the military and I was recruited. I mean, people took uh, runs at me as to recruit me, but I didn't. I I, I wanted to make a, a better living than than that. So at any rate, uh, No, the Marine, four years in the Marine Corps was enough adventure for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spent my uh, career as an investment advisor, and I found out something that. Uh, uh, you know, people would come to me to interview later when I got into management. and would say, "What is the greatest asset in being becoming successful salesman?" And I'd say, "Listening." And they, these young men and women would sit there dumbfounded, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because they thought that they had to dazzle people, you know, with their knowledge, and and really, people want you to listen to them and you know, uh, provide them what they need. And I, I've just found that I've always been a good listener, so uh, I had um, several fascinating other events that took place. Uh, uh, A gentleman that I'd actually known for a number of years, he was a father of a friend of mine, and knew he spent all of his time in D.C., and my friend and his mother lived in in Fort Worth, where I grew up, and um, later, my friend uh, said my dad... uh, didn't know you were interested in all this stuff, you know, when all the, the story broke. And he said he would like to tell you some things. And so I visited with the old gentleman. He was quite a character. But at uh, any rate, uh, uh, one, of my, one of the characters in my book is actually based on this gentleman. Um, anyway, he said uh, – what he confided in me was that he uh, – as a young man, had been a member of the OSS and been um, very much involved in the the U.S. occupation of Japan after World War II and, I guess, a confidant of uh, uh, General MacArthur. And apparently MacArthur had viewed uh, several crash sites of UFOs uh, that were shot down or uh, came down uh, accidentally during World War II. And I guess that was the basis for... MacArthur's comments to West Point uh, graduating class, and later on a a, a magazine article about uh, in the future we'd be battling with uh, you know beings from other worlds. But well, at any rate,
2: he said that to the New York Times as well. Exactly, exactly.
6: So it, that just gives you the deep background on on uh, Mr. Drake, as I call him in my book. But at any rate, he said he was a member. <laughs>
3: book too, I hope.
6: I'm getting to a very important point here. He, um, <laughs> finally, he said he was a member of a three-man um, a team, a group that uh, made the final black budget approvals. And one year, uh, the uh, black budget, uh, um, you know, some that was, uh, they were being asked to approve was so huge, they just could not, they couldn't do it. And they said, uh, he said they called a uh, They had a four-star general sitting in front of them, and they said, look, there's no oversight on this. This is such an enormous amount of money. We're not going to sign it until we know where the money's going. And uh, so he said they uh, took them, the three men, to this enormous hangar, and they opened up the hangar, and it was full of all sizes of what he called flying saucers. And the general turned to them and said, that's where the money's going. And that was in the early 60s. We have had a secret space program for at least the last 50 years. And and so how, how was this woman who, who you mentioned involved in that? Well, she was not involved in that. She was a separate you – know, these are individuals that uh, – that contributed bits and pieces to the overall story about uh, our back engineering programs, mm-hmm. um, our secret space program, and ultimately our involvement with non-humans and extraterrestrials.
2: Well, you know Jan Harzan, right? Obviously, you do. You were both directly Yes. Okay. So, um, float back to mm, 2004-ish. <laughs> At the big MUFON convention up in Rochester. Yeah. Okay.
6: So I wasn't uh, there, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. So so
2: I'm in this hotel. I keep getting phone calls from this one person, and he is complaining to me about being chased by people from the future. This is a Jan Harzan story. Okay. <laughs> so he's complained to me of being p- chased by people from the future, and you know it's. For for me, it's great. It's another crank call. And it's in a hotel room. So finally, he says, look, um, here's the story. And he tells me his story. It's over the phone. And then he says, you can check it out. This is a story where IBM has a special computer that they developed that sends messages from the future into the past. And and I forget the name of the computer, some Eagle something. But I mean, I could be all wrong about the name. He says, that's the computer that IBM has. So, fine. We make a point to talk later after the convention.
3: I remember this guy. You told me about this.
2: Right. And I'm sitting at the airport in Rochester with Jan Harzan. And I'm telling him the story. And saying, Jan, you know, we're both laughing. And I said, and so the guy says that IBM, because Jan was still an engineer at IBM, but that he hadn't retired yet. Right. So I say to Jan, so this guy says, the Golden Eagle computer at IBM. Now, Jan will said he never remembered this, because I asked him about this three or four days. I don't remember saying this. But I'm telling you, this is what happened. The color literally drains from Jan's face. <laughs> And he says, how did you know that name? And I said, well, it's what the guy told me. He says, nobody knows about this outside (laughs) of a select group of engineers at IBM. Sitting behind us at the airport was another person. He leans over to us because he was listening to the conversation, obviously. (laughs) He leans over to us and says, hey, listen. When I was working at NASA and, you know, obviously our uh, back in the 1960s, we went to the NSA and we said, we need your supercomputer for the space program because you guys have the best computer. I mean, it is the most powerful computer and the NSA turned to us and said, you will never get a look inside this computer. He said that was how advanced this computer was. And,
3: and what's it called again? Golden Eagle? Yeah, I it, it,
2: um, the, the, Forget the name. It was some kind of...
3: So you're making this up, this Golden Eagle? Ba- I, I baby Golden eagle.
2: eagle. But that's Beagle. all I
1: remember. Golden Beagle. <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 Not Beagle. Eagle. Eagle. <laughs> eagle. eagle. <laughs> golden Eagle. Spree. Ay, ay, ay. Mm. Wow. So, Ken, uh, we wasted the first half hour of the show... Um, talking about the silly stuff in Stevensville. <laughs> this is incredible stuff. Um, I can see why I think this is the answer why it's a novel, right? Yes,
6: yes. Yeah. Uh, there are people whose lives have been snuffed out and people whose lives have been threatened. Um, a very, uh, this is, follow me with this uh, story for a moment. We got a call from a lady. He said, I have some information, and I'm scared to have it. I would like you to pick it up from me. And uh, she said, it's uh, surveillance tapes. And she says, I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble for having it, but I think it might help you with your investigation. So we made several attempts to, to meet with her. She wouldn't meet us directly, wouldn't give us her name. But uh, she never dropped anything at the drop points we named. So about the third time she called, she said, look, I am so sorry, but I'm scared. So she said, I'll leave it this time. And um, uh, so we went, and sure enough, there was this uh, uh, CD. Now, let me give you a little background on it. She said that her um, neighbor across the street worked for a private security company as a receptionist or something like that. But at any rate, uh, she said that she found out that the security company had a contract to spy on these two scientists, and uh, they had an ongoing surveillance program on them in their workshop.
3: What, what kind of scientists were they?
6: Uh, the <laughs> the kind that work on back engineering extraterrestrial uh, Technology, and uh, there is a point where these, uh, where this uh, actually matches up with the from from another direction as well. So let me uh, uh, go on. But any rate, she said the the lady got her friend became concerned that she was working for bad guys. In other words, why would good guys be surveilling American? scientists who were doing very classified work and so she got a copy of one of the surveillance tapes and um, brought it home with her and she was going to turn it over to the FBI or somebody like that before that could happen uh, she brought it over to her neighbor to say and she was afraid that they you know they were going to find out at the office anyway next thing the woman says A van showed up at her neighbor's house, unmarked, and some guys got out, emptied everything out of the house, and she never saw her neighbor again. Mm. Now she's got this thing, and she doesn't know what to do with it. Well, um, it so happens that we had been uh, contacted by a man who uh, actually I was able to Google, (laughs) and he... He was a scientist, had the degrees and PhDs he claimed to have had. said he worked at uh, S-4 at Area 51 and that there were these two scientists working in Texas that he had worked with at S-4 that uh, could probably uh, uh, account for where this UFO in Stephenville came from. Mm. Well, um, I put this kind of aside and... Then later, this, uh, this thing happened with the CD. I pop it in, I start watching it. Lo and behold, it's the two scientists that he mentioned that another uh, source had given me. So, uh, but that,
3: that wouldn't be Dan Burrish, would it?
6: No. Okay. And, and I couldn't tell you if it was, but it, I can say it was not. At any rate, one of the scientists provided me with a, um, a polygraph that he had taken. And uh, let's see. It's uh, four pages, five pages long. I'll just read you a couple of things. Um, let's see. Was Victor Moore of SDI killed instead of instead of uh, drug overdose as reported? Yes. P- result true. Was Russell Smith of SDI killed instead of suicide? Yes. True. Um, did you or did you do you work at Area 51? Yes, true. Um, did you work at S4 complex? True. Did you know Bob Lazar inside S4? Yes, true. Is Bob Lazar's information on alien spacecraft correct? Yes, true. Uh, skipping over. Have you ever been threatened with death for discussing Area 51 or S4? Yes, true. Have you been threatened within thirty days? Yes, true. Um, anyway, it goes on and on, and um, you know, is uh, uh, are there more than eight alien spacecraft that you've personally examined? Yes, true. Have you? Uh, are you an anti-gravity scientist? Yes, true. Do you use a lens assembly to generate anti-gravity? Yes, true. Um, so it goes on and on. It's, it, it's quite amazing. Uh, but this was given to me independently by the, the scientist. But lo and behold, when I got the CD, <laughs> uh, he and his partner were sitting there discussing any number of these things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, particularly I found fascinating the fact that they had this part of this uh, alien technology that they were in back engineering was – a series of lenses, somehow or another, that, you know, I guess they had found the gravitational. Uh, well,
3: I was going to ask you about the lenses. Um, have you ever heard of An- Andrew Basago? Mm-hmm.
6: No, I'm sorry. Bis-
1: Bis- Andrew no, it's Andrew
3: Bis- 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 No, it's like the cheese, Basago.
1: No, no, no. no it, it-, well, it smells like the cheese, but no. <laughs> Bissaggio.
3: Bissaggio.
6: In-, in any event. There you go.
3: No, I don't uh, well, I don't uh, He says that he says that he's a member of and this is where I wanted to bring the question anyway. do you uh he's a part of a group of people who tell the most fabulous stories, fantastical stories about a jump room to Mars. That is, you go into an elevator type of device, open up the doors, you're on Mars. This is part of what they say is the secret space program, which is very far advanced. And they have time travel equipment, and this guy Basago, but ba- Basiago,
1: Basiago, there Basiago. What's
3: What's he does part? say Basago. I'm telling you. Well, in any event, um, he says that it, it was a lens kind of a thing that sort of seemed. I mean, I'm th- everybody's thinking Stargate when you think of this. You know, that's the image that comes to mind. But. He, he goes on talk shows and says this is, so Ken do you believe that stuff is true?
6: <sighs> I believe that uh, we have had a secret space program for more than 50 years that we're uh, working with non-humans and uh, extraterrestrials and that uh, the uh, technology that we have available, that is being withheld from the world is probably beyond the scope of the average person's imagination. But, but,
3: but, but did you see the X-Files last night? That's exactly- No, sorry,
6: okay. I missed it. Yeah.
3: Okay, well, listen, listen. What you said, that sentence, is the the big new plot, the big plot twist that they're suggesting mm-hmm. exactly what you said.
6: Well, so. going back to, to uh, some of these folks that I've spoken with, and the reason one of the reasons that they want to remain anonymous is that there is a massive struggle between the factions uh, that want to disclose and those who don't want to disclose. And there actually have been casualties, uh, in this, uh, back and forth struggle over the years. Bill, uh, late in January, 2008, I've received a call from, uh, our, both our, uh, good friend, uh, Jim Mars. who said, uh, You know, over his uh, 40 some odd years of investigative journalism, uh, he developed quite a few contacts. And he said, I have this one gentleman who's been pretty reliable over the years that would like to talk to you. And uh, he said, uh, You know, I said, I'd be more than happy to. And anyway, the the fellow said, In just a short period of time, um, there's going to be a meeting at the UN uh, to discuss this Stephenville event. And, um, um, anyway, I sort of put that aside and I said, well, you know, if it's, he said it was going to be a secret meeting and it's not, you know, it's really the, the only, only the people who are really plugged into the UFO information and the top governments in the world would be included and be closed door. I figure, well, yeah, I'll never find out about it. So, uh, this is something I can't verify well later there was something that I guess was leaked to YouTube and uh, uh, I later on um, I did get some feedback from the fellow about what went on and basically uh, that you know the the Western nations of the world needed to start preparing their uh, people for disclosure because it was going to happen one way or the other that the Others were getting impatient with the uh, pace of disclosure. So ultimately, it's probably out of our hands. Um, uh, I think Dr. Michael Sala has also mentioned this meeting and uh, pretty much the same message. So I would suppose or guess that his uh, uh, source within that meeting was the same person as as I have.
2: Well, you know, let me rejoin that with this. So now we are uh, – so you're talking about 2008. Let's float back to um, early 2007
5: mm.
2: and we are doing the And – I'm not going to tell you who the, per, who the guest was. We're doing the pilot for UFO Hunters and in one of the scenes, this was never aired and it was never aired for a reason. And when I tell you this, the the, just the conversation, you can figure out why it never made the. Well, the pilot was never on the air, but this was integral to the pilot. So, we are talking about where is if, in fact, there were UFOs and there was a Roswell crash and there was a crash in Aztec and fill in the blanks. If mm. all that's true. Where is it? Okay. Um, We can trace it. Let's say that we are able to trace, just for argument's sake. Let's say we're able to trace it from Roswell to Fort Worth, Fort Worth to Wright Field. We know that according to the children of this Air Force, of this uh, Marine um, Colonel Marion Magruder, he and the 1948 class of the National Air War College went were sent to Wright Field in early 1948 where they actually saw the same material that Jesse Marcel Jr. handled in, on the kitchen floor in his house mm-hmm. in Roswell. And uh, Magruder tells the story of having seen the humanoid, the extraterrestrial. And so I kind of, Let's just say the story leaves off there. Corso notwithstanding. <laughs> it's this, uh, the story leaves off there. Well, the, uh, the question is, where did it go from there? Did it go to the Pentagon? Did it go to some... Where did it go? So, um, one of the people we had as a guest says to us, well, imagine this. Imagine that you have a relatively high-profile group of intelligence-connected, by intelligence we mean three-letter agency, intelligence-connected scientists, who are tasked, and this was confirmed by somebody else who said that he was CIA, uh, an NGO, basically a non-government organization but working for the government, that are researching this. And they are pulling together whatever scraps they can of information. But they actually have the goods. And there's so much in the technology they don't understand. It's simply beyond their capacity. We don't have the resources to analyze some of this stuff. So the discussion among the group is, so So this person says, so I asked the folks, hey, you guys at Grumman. You guys at Boeing, why don't you bring in more scientists from academia to help you out in kind of sussing out what you have your hands on? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. No, 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 we can't do that. We won't do that. So they're basically at the standstill with this level of technology that they really can't develop into any resources because they can't figure out what what makes it tech. That discussion which was couched as a hypothetical discussion because it couldn't be real. And when I tell you some of the stuff that uh, uh, that came up, um, uh, where one scientist discussing the form of energy was so angry and said, quote, the damn UFOs we get don't have the technology to help us research what we're talking about. So, you know, I mean, that, uh, that's that level of, of frustration at why can't we just get a flying saucer that has that technology that we could fit that never made it into the series.
6: Right. Right. I'll um, give you an example of uh, some sort of technology that's uh, really beyond our understanding in this surveillance tape that I viewed between these two scientists. Uh, uh, one of them had discussed uh, uh, among these eight different UFOs that w- he had inspected. Um, one he had just come back from Japan looking at had liquid walls, and when I heard that, It just blew my mind. I had to back up and play it over several times.
3: Did they look liquid or were they actually?
6: Liquid walls. And Hmm. that was the way he described it. And I'm trying, you know, they, uh, he was obviously as flummoxed as, uh, you know, the average person would have been. What, how did they, how did they do this? And, you know, what was the purpose? And, you know, how? to even try to imagine the technology behind it, I I can't uh, you know, can't. so that's an example of something that's just beyond Can
1: I, can I ask yeah. a question, Ken? Um, what are your thoughts on Gary McKinnon and uh, what he claims that he saw when he hacked into uh, the mainframes at NASA?
6: Um, uh, let's see, he's not the one uh, he's separate from the one who uh, hacked into uh, the <laughs> The blue room there at the, the right Patterson. Um, right.
1: He, yeah, he, he claims that he saw. Uh, He's the blue British blue. guy. You're of Gary the Mason. British guy. Yeah. yeah. Gary yeah. McKinnon. Yeah. McKinnon. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gary McKinnon. Uh,
6: um, I have had several um, uh, insiders from NASA uh, to tell me, you know, things that have gone on there. Um, so I don't recall his comment offhand. Well, he said
1: he, he saw uh, what looked to him uh, to be uh, extraterrestrial uh, operatives working with uh, human operatives in the space program, uh, and basically some of them were, were labeled as off-Earth agents and earthly agents, and uh, they were on some kind of a joint project with the aliens, or the group well, of aliens.
6: A- absolutely, and I've had that from several sources of... Um, and, and I will tell you another big reveal for my book here and, um, is that several sources that I have I, – I, I can't just drop it. I've got to go back a minute. Bill, as you remember, uh, there, there were so many witnesses there in Stephenville uh, that we had to get a, um, uh, the Rotary Club there in Dublin to be able to, to, to have everybody come in. There were 75, 80 witnesses there. We we came back to their, that location again. Um, there must have been three or 400 folks uh, that all told that we interviewed at least. And uh, for the most part, these are middle-aged folks that, uh, you know – Uh, Some of them were dairy farmers, ranchers, and so forth. And then, uh, in large part, they had day jobs as well. You can't make a living off of a small dairy farm. So, you know, these are people who are not prone to flights of fancy. A lot of them had, uh, you know, college educations and traveled and so forth. So, we're dealing with uh, pretty credible folks. And I would say that they were all, without exception, open to the idea that. We're not alone in, in the universe and that we're being visited by intelligent uh, uh, species, you know, from time to time. And they were all just kind of awestruck by that idea, you know, and excited about it and uh, wouldn't have, would have no problem with it. But I think uh, one of the reasons that the people, uh, the, the, there are people who don't want to disclose or are hanging on to it so tightly is one of the things they would have to disclose is that uh, we're not just dealing with ETs. Uh, that there what, are non what, what, there what? are non excuse me there are non humans who are terrestrial beings that have been here for eons, right. and they're here in large numbers. And um, one of my uh, sources uh, um, said that you know he and his compartmentalized position, was aware of two uh, underground installations in Texas. And then he had met one other person uh, who also was aware of at least two others in Texas. So apparently, you know, there uh, there are a lot of them. And uh, two of these scientists that I mentioned had worked with ETS in at least one of these installations, so um, <clears throat> I think that might give a lot of people pause at night to know that we're not at the top of the, uh, you know, the food chain here on uh, <laughs> planet Earth. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, th- go ahead. Go ahead, Nancy. Oh,
2: no, go ahead, Ken.
1: Nancy.
3: No,
6: I'm here. Oh.
2: <laughs> We thought you were going
1: to ask something. We
6: all waited. Yeah. So, but at any rate, uh, uh, the the point about Stevenville and the uh, uh, Phoenix Lights and the Washington D.C. flyover and some of these other mass uh, sightings is really a test, um, you know, to judge, uh, you know, the people the people's reactions, so oh. that. You know they'll find out what, if and when it does happen. Uh, you know there will be a lot of people who won't be able to handle the knowledge. That's for certain.
2: Well, do, well, do you wonder whether the Frank Stanton inspired um, Lawrence Rockefeller, and Frank Stanton was working for Lawrence Rockefeller at this research group at Princeton, right. and they were the ones that funded the Mercury Theater of the Air, nineteen thirty-eight. Yes, War yeah. the World's Broadcast. And it was part of a study of human reaction to the H.G. Wells story, which is why it was cast as uh, a radio broadcast, a fake radio broadcast.
6: Uh, Yes, I I actually used that example in my book. Um, You know, another one of the uh, uh, recommendations of the Robertson panel was that uh, uh, they should start a public education campaign. Uh, That would be accomplished by the mass media, television, motion pictures, popular articles and so forth. And so, you know, we've seen um, a a preparation of the public mind, you know, to accept this over, you know, since the 50s. To the point now where uh, people stand in line, you know, for days to get tickets to go see Star Wars or to go right, see
3: Star right. and, and X-Files was just on with this very same storyline. But what about disinformation?
6: Oh, there's a lot of it. Uh, there's a good deal of disinformation. And um, another one of the recommendations of the Robertson panel was that the, uh, the UFO research group should be infiltrated. And, uh, you know... Um, they, the purpose being to manage, uh, information that comes out of these things. In other words, they're all for the collection of the data, uh, but what is, uh, goes public and how it's treated and, uh, you know, the proper form and all of this, you know, to keep, uh, um, uh, to manage it, uh, it was really at the heart of the reasoning for the infiltration of the uh, of the UFO groups, and of course, uh, it's demonstrated that they've done that, and they've done it uh, quite successfully. Uh, uh, one of the groups, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, um, oh, NICAP, yeah. Uh, actually at the one time was the premier UFO group, Uh, the uh, uh, Vice uh, Admiral Roscoe Helen Cotter. Yeah, Helen Cotter, the
2: CIA, right. Yeah,
6: he was the first director of the CIA, was on ICAP's board of directors.
2: Oh, exactly. I mean, that's one of the astounding things about this. When you look at the personnel who were involved in the very early – collection of data about ufo events you Mm -hmm. find all these intelligence people and all these military people that are popped in so either they have infiltrated ufo groups for the purpose of honest collection of data or they've influenced ufo groups for the purpose of a collection of data but manipulating the groups themselves for their own end
6: certainly and as we know with blue book um or uh, we could take Blue Book as an example. They didn't put the most sensitive cases uh, in the Blue Book files.
2: And that's uh, why Edward Ruppelt was so frustrated in 1956 that he wrote his own book about UFOs. And if you just go back to Edward Ruppelt's own book about the 1952 flyover in Washington, D.C. yes you will actually, and then compare that with what Donald Kehoe said about General Sanford, what you then see is how the Air Force itself was kind of, the, the junior officers in the Air Force were bamboozled by the senior officers in the Air Force, Ramey and Sanford, about what to do about this event that was simply Taken out of the hands of the military because we were losing fighter aircraft in chasing these things around. One after
6: day. Uh, Well, that that reminds me uh, (laughs) a a number of things. One, I interviewed two uh, witnesses to the 1952 flyover. One uh, was a young girl at the time. Her father was uh, stationed there in DC. Uh, He had. He was a. uh, ace uh, um, pilot during World War II it was a lieutenant colonel and she said that back in those days there were very few obstructions to the skyline there were many trees and thousands. they lived in a development just outside D.C. and they all the kids were outside playing and they saw these things and they ran in she told her dad he came out he called his commanding general and he got off the phone she said white faced, and the general chewed him out and said don't ever talk about it again And um, the other gentleman was quite elderly, and he was a young analyst at the time uh, there at the uh, Pentagon. And um, he was going on the radio to uh, talk about it and mention that there were jets chasing these things. And he said the station manager got a phone call and was told no one was to discuss the jets chasing the UFOs, period. And so – (laughs) <laughs> anyway, later he was reprimanded for actually mentioning it in a, in a different interview. So, um, and uh, General Ramey, yes, uh, it's uh, funny, all of the people involved with Roswell, if that had been a weather balloon, would have been uh, uh, drummed out, but they were all ended up being uh, uh, promoted. General Ramey was given air command of the Eastern Seaboard. And, Look at
2: Blanchard. He winds up being vice chairman of the Air Force.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I, mean, I sp- died sp- in 66 from a heart attack. But I mean, my God, here's a guy who goes from colonel to multi-star general right. um, is at the top of the of the food chain of the Air Force after yeah. the services split. Right. And he gets a nice big pat on the back reward where Walter Hout had Walter Hout stay, because he was the de facto but not de jure aide to Blanchard as right. the PIO at, at, at Walker Field, he has to leave the Air Force because he sees what happens to Major Marcel, who himself goes to light colonel, would have gone to full colonel, and he sees what happens to Major Marcel um, after he's made a fool of by Roger Ramey and realizes that from what he knows about, well, from what he's seen with his own eyes, he was at the debris field, from what he's seen with his own eyes at Roswell, he even takes a piece of the debris from the craft, puts it on his desk, and then some CIC guy comes in and rips it off his desk and says, you know, you can't have this. <laughs> sees right. the craft, sees the aliens on the, on the uh, gurneys. After all of that, Seeing what happened to Marcel and knowing that when he gives his promise to Blanchard, he'll never tell the truth, he eventually does, but yeah. he'll never tell the truth, the only way to be kept from ordering to tell the truth in the future is to leave what would have been a career that would have brought him to the Pentagon and certainly full bird colonel, if so, not a one star.
6: Yes.
2: He has to leave the Air Force and sell insurance in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh,
6: right? I, uh, and he's I, a big
2: hes a big town guy from Chicago.
6: Yeah. Uh, interesting. I i talked to uh, Latane Ramey, um, General Ramey's uh, second wife. She was a good bit younger than him. And uh, um, she told me, of course, you know, that um, – uh, he was promoted. and He was given air command of the Eastern Seaboard, and uh, you know, as such, he was alerted. Uh, she said, uh, uh, "If anything penetrated our airspace, and uh, they knew what it was, they were his troops were instructed not to bother him if it was late at night. But if it was a UFO, you know, something that they they didn't know what it was, to let to let him know." And she said he used to get calls in the middle of the night all the time, and uh once he passed uh, she said uh, a, a number of air force officers and uh our uniformed officers, I think she said showed up and they loaded up a van with uh, all boxes of all of his files and so forth um, so uh apparently. That was his uh, int- entrance into, you know, that very super secret work from, from then on through throughout his career. They trusted him with it.
2: Well, he but he basically uh, told Samford, um, Sam- according to Donald Kehoe, Gen- and this is reported by Edward Ruppelt, um, Don- uh, General Sanford was wrestling with his conscience. Does he tell the truth or does he concoct some story? Rupelt knew the truth, because here's this guy, he's a captain, and he's stationed at Wright-Patterson, but he's flying back and forth between Wright-Patterson and Washington, literally trying to keep up with all the UFO data, with all the incursions over D.C., with the planes that are going down, with the planes that are trying to shoot these things down, with crashes, they can't keep up with the data, and he's actually being, being reprimanded for being a wall at right field because he's got to get back to, and he can't tell the truth to anybody about what he's doing um, yeah. except that he's working on, on Blue Book. So apparently, Roger Ramey sits Genf- uh, General Sanford down and says, you're not going to tell the real story. Come up with a cover story, even if it's ridiculous. People <laughs> would rather believe the cover story then believe we cannot secure our own airspace from UFOs. Right. Right. And that's why Sanford tells the story of basically, oh, malfunctioning equipment, the pilots didn't know what they were seeing, all a big mistake.
3: Well, let me ask you something here that um, Amy, who is uh, Dinah X on, uh, on Belgab, she's asking, and it's a really great question, I think, do you think that the modern-day MUFON has become uh, the latter-day Blue Book? in which the really good stories are filtered through and they go to somebody else. And that's for Ken.
6: Yeah. Um, I don't know about now, but it's my opinion that when I was active with the group, it was. Uh, and there were people who came forward and said, yeah, I was part of a special team that mm-hmm. was giving uh, given the uh, sensitive uh, cases to investigate. Um, wow. Uh, we had uh, a number of cases that we went out on that um, uh, the witnesses would say we were told not to talk to you. There've already been investigators here and really? that sort of thing. So, uh, and you know, it was alleged, uh, and, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Walter Anders' uh, brother, uh, Walter Walt Andrus was the co-founder of Move right. On that his brother was a career CIA agent. Uh, he told any number of people that. Um, um, you know, there were two international directors who had uh, military intelligence backgrounds. Um, they have people in their consulting staff that are CIA and SA contractors. I mean, I don't know how many coincidences it takes to finally, you know, say, hey, wait, there's something stinky here, but... Uh, well, um, John, Sh- uh, John Schusler told me, uh, he was one of the
2: co-directors, John Schusler told me flat out that at government agencies, particularly NASA, because he worked at NASA, right, <clears throat> that there's a group called Special Access Projects, and if you are in the Special Access Projects, if you read into to Special Access Projects, no matter where you are in the government, when UFO-related information comes floating through, it's kind of scooped up by the special access projects people. Exactly. It never gets out. So we asked you, We said, "Well, just who's in it?" And he said, "If you want me to stay alive, I can't tell you who's in it."
6: Yeah, <laughs> and I saw an interview that he did uh, with a reporter uh, who asked him, "You know, uh, are there things?" in NASA that you know the public's not aware of and and John uh, I guess I'm paraphrasing him said uh, yeah but if I told you I'd have to kill you. Exactly. Well, look, neither one of them had a smile on their face. <laughs> right. But right. Um, but
3: but the frustration about MuFon is isn't the charter that anybody can join if they have a good heart and they want to learn and they want to help?
6: Here's the thing Nancy, uh people don't realize it but you are not a member of MuFon. When you um, uh, subscribe to the magazine, because we went through a tremendous uh, battle there while I was there and I sort of led the fight as to a better representation on the board, uh, you know, where the members could vote. And after months of fighting, they finally fessed up and said, look, Mm -hmm. all of you are just uh, subscribers and volunteers, the way the charter is set up, the only real members of MUFON is the board, oh. period, and that's why they can be insular. They can and they continue to pick people with similar backgrounds.
3: Well, so so then it's light. It's possible that somebody can join, show a lot of promise, and then get sucked into the inner circle, basically.
6: If you have the right credentials. Wow. Well, that's you know, if seems- if I
4: can. If I can break in here for a second, when he said that, that really, uh, I had my own experience, We won't get too much into, but, um, when I had my encounter, um, the phone worked fine on the first days that, cause I was telling everybody what happened right after it happened. But when I called MUFON, that is when all the phone calls all went to instantly being tapped and it was from that day on that my mom and I were talking When we were uh, – I was actually on another radio show. Somebody brought it up. And it was from that day on that the uh, phone was was tapped, the day I called MUFON. So all what you said right there of, of the bigger picture and people involved. Yeah, yeah,
6: and if we had lots more time, I could tell you, you know, I could t- we really have more we can cover. But one sure. thing I do want to mention is that even as a novel, there are people that who don't – like my story being told because um, I have been subject of intimidation since uh, the book came out. Uh, My uh, computers had the DNS attacks. I had to have the phone company come out and set up a rolling IP so that people can't get it. Uh, My phone's been tapped. Um, A couple of times when I was talking to a good friend who is retired military, we noticed it sounded like there was an open line. And I called my phone provider, and um, I said, look, I think my phone is tapped. And I thought, you know, they'd say, yeah, right, you know, But the young man said, And when do you think that last happened? I said, a call I just got off of. And he said, hold on, Mr. Cherry, let me run some tests. I'll be right back to you. So about five minutes later, he came back, and he said, "Uh, there is evidence of telnet activity during a number of your phone calls. He says, we're going to send a technician out first thing in the morning. And I didn't know what the heck it, te- uh, tell me it was. And, said, and what,
3: year, what year was
6: this, Ken? This year, since my book came out. Oh. Wow. Well, this is going the,
2: on now. Well, we were installing the, the phone lines uh, in the production office for UFO Hunters in Santa Monica, the Verizon guy came out. And so I, I've installed my own phone lines before. So I'm looking at what he's doing, and I'm counting, I'm counting the wires. And this is back in 2006. And I'm counting the pairs, right, because the phone lines are these pairs. So I'm counting the pairs going into the various um, jacks and then the big jack we, we, uh, for the uh, for the hub phone, for the transfers. And so I'm looking and I'm saying, how come you have these extra lines here? And so the phone guy says, oh, I, I can't tell you about that. I said, what do you mean you can't tell me about that? I said – I, 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 I no, I said I can. <laughs> no, I said I can account for what you're doing. I see where you're running your cable here, um, but I, I would like to know why there are these extra pieces of cable that are going to um, another part of this jack that's not connected to anything else. So he said, "What kind of show are you guys doing?" And that's where he left the conversation.
6: Yeah, I see. Well, I got to tell you that nowadays with the um um, telephone, uh, internet, and television services all being provided through one uh, router. That they're all uh, accessible by hackers. Uh, my TV has been hacked.
3: Well, um, did you? Uh, is that my, telnet? My, what you're talking about? Pardon me. When you said telnet, is that all part of telnet?
6: No, uh, I wasn't sure what it was. It, even after he explained it again, he said it's a web bot that allows somebody to remotely access your phone calls. Wow. And I went on Google Telnet, and sure enough, it is a program. It's not a device, but it's a, it's a somebody is hacked into my system, and they can access my phone calls. And one evening, I was uh, on coast. Uh, I don't know who it was. Uh, um, somebody's program. Anyway, uh, the the phone kept ringing, and I would hang it up. But at any rate, uh, they they push on the um, uh, the numbers on the keyboard. Do, 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 do. I mean, we got very obvious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my television bill. And it had a bunch of movies ordered on there. And I called up and I said, I've never ordered movies. Mm. And the lady looks back through my account. And she says, yeah, I see you've never ordered them. I'll take them off. And I said, by the way, what are they? And she said, oh, these horrible slasher movies. And I went, oh, my God, you know. Creepy. So that the next day, uh, a friend of mine, uh, his neighbor, said, uh, called up and said, there's a guy sitting in a panel truck. It just left to sit there a long time by the corner of your property and he was wearing a beard. She was an airline steward and, uh, and has done a lot of overseas stuff, and she said, looks like one of our special ops guys back from mm-hmm. Afghanistan or someplace, but he was just sitting there, and uh, it's just kind of suspicious. I thought, oh, okay. Wow. Anyway, I got in my car, and I'm leaving. I go down the street, and suddenly my GPS starts telling me, turn left at the next turn. And I went, I didn't program my GPS. I didn't turn it on even. What's going on? And it kept giving me instructions, and I looked over at the destination. It was to the emergency room of the local hospital. Wow, how, that's creepy. Yeah, so, you know, they're ordering slasher movies. Yeah. And, wow. and I mean, all of the – oh, I did have one evening. My wife is in a home. She has uh, – Dementia. But at any rate, I was coming back late. It was dark. And I noticed this dark SUV turning every time I would turn. And it was approaching my home. It's dark streets, you know, covered, uh, tree covered and so forth. And this guy got, person got right up on my bumper. And I mean, against my bumper. And I kept speeding up. Yeah. And I'm turning left, turning right. And they're staying right on my bumper. And I finally said, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those rare people who uses a turn signal. I mean, you know, it's for other people's benefit. So, you know, why should I? It's, you know, <laughs> anyway, I do that. So I said, okay, next turn, I'm not going to signal. And I made a very quick turn into a dark boulevard that I knew about at about 50 miles an hour. And this car stayed right on my bumper. Mm. And I happen to know where there was a a, a gap in the median and made a quick one eighty, mm-hmm. And that's how I lost them only by probably knowing the road a little bit better. But, uh, wow. you know, so I've had any number of intimidation tactics used against me. Uh, and, you know, one, at least one of my uh, informants died of this, you know, the suspicious circumstances. He was a, uh, and as a NASA scientist who was told to top, stop giving, uh, you know, lectures and uh, talking about what was going on, he was confronted in a parking lot after one he gave down in Houston, and they said, uh, "You've signed nondisclosure uh, uh, agreements, and even though you're not still working at NASA, they still apply." So, yeah. Yeah. but here's a guy that ran three miles a day. Perfect health and drops dead of a heart attack. And
3: well, in your in your fiction, in your novel, you have an appendix, right? Fact versus fiction.
6: Yes, it's more of um, examples in real life of of uh, situations and um, you know that I write about in the book, just to give people the you know the, the factual basis for a lot of it. So right, and did you
3: create the Mark Slade character so that so that you can write other books, perhaps?
6: I did. There are several other cases that I wanted to write about, but um, the actual writing of a book has been such an incredible experience. Plus, <laughs> yeah. what's gone on, I'm not sure I'll do it again. Wow. Uh,
3: That's a very honest thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. A lot of people get bitten by the bug, and a lot of people just say, wow, that's a lot of work. It's a, way more work than, say, a screenplay where,
6: well, you know. Yeah, here's the thing. I know someone who's written a book about the 9-11 conspiracy. She, she has a, a completely new theory about it, and it's doing gangbusters. Okay? What, what is
3: her name and what is the book?
6: <laughs> Rebecca Roth, and it's a uh, methodical illusion, but. And uh, I guess there's the follow-up book is Methodical Deception. But at any rate, so she's doing gangbusters with this thing. And now this is the umpteenth book that's been written about the 9-11. Mm-hmm. And to me, I mean, look, uh, buildings coming down and lives being horribly lost and, you know, these uh, these barbarians attacking from the sky. That's all something that people can – You know, get into sink their teeth into that's that's a conspiracy they can understand, but this what we're talking about is I don't know it's very difficult for people to grasp, and yet to me it is uh has the potential to to affect all of mankind. I mean, sure.
2: I mean, look at the implication you're suggesting. I mean, because I've got a theory too, but look at the implication you're suggesting.
3: We're getting down to the end. We've only got a minute or so. And I'd
6: like to mention my, uh, where you can get my book, too. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. I think we're up to 26 five-star uh, reviews at the moment, Which but so everybody loves it. And, but you can go to my website for uh, an autographed copy. That's EpicVoyagers, E-P-I-C-V-O-Y-A-G-E-R-S.com, EpicVoyagers.com. Wait, and in order does we also
3: have a radio show?
6: Yes, I do. Epic Voyages comes on Monday night, and uh, we're you're sort of running against us. Uh, we're we're on from uh, eight to ten, though. So. Okay, so
3: the, that we're not. The, well, so then people can tape one and catch the other. Great. That's, I knew I knew I great. knew you were thinking about it a long time ago of starting right. a radio show, and then I kind of lost I lost contact.
6: And uh, we're we're rebroadcast on Friday nights on Dark Matter as well. So
2: oh, good. So we're all on the same network. The same so uh, what, it's what's all it's a family,
6: family thing? thing. Yep. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. No, I mean, one of the things is that the implications of the whole story is that a we're not alone on this planet. That it's not just that we've been visited, but we're not the only people living here. Exactly. That's a big, big
6: story. And they're far more advanced than we are. I mean, exactly. Bill, you know, you know, for for a fact that uh, very, pretty accurate de- de- uh, depictions of uh, flying saucers have been found on cave drawings, for goodness it's, sake. Right.
2: I mean, I mean so, so the,
6: these beings were around tens of thousands of years ago already advanced. I
2: had asked this one person we had as a guest uh, who's – who, whom you know but whose name I will not mention <laughs> about because about, um, he said that he knows some of them and has met them and confronted them and so he told me this story and, and I said well given what you just said which is what I just said given what you just said you think about the Isaac Asimov trilogy foundation and empire where there is a group far more advanced than those who live on this planet living in absolute obscurity under a cover of this obscurity who run the entire show and he said yeah that's exactly right and I said so would you say that Asimov is writing science not fiction and that he knows the truth and so this guy says yeah he he knew the truth the absolute truth, and that's what he wrote in The Foundation and Empire. So there's another case of a novel that had to be a novel because the truth could never be told the way it was.
6: Right. Uh, you know, I guess... And we're out of time. And I
3: have to tell you, the sad news is next week's show is going to be in, the, in a similar vein. We have our third... Um um Ken our third Ken in a row. That's <laughs> weird just to start with. You're the middle Ken, Ken Cherry. And then next week, let me just get his last name. We have a fellow that I met on Bellgap who mentioned uh a story that's so incredible that I just booked him immediately and it's about uh Ken uh con, con, not chemtrails. Chemtrails. contrails, And worse and worse. Government spraying and stuff and his life is has been turned upside down okay because well, of this and I'll, i won't give his last name it's just we'll say ken for now that'll okay. keep him nice ken and three s- ken
2: three and uh, uh, thank you ken cherry for joining us tonight be sure to catch ken on the dark matter radio network from eight to ten on fridays and go to amazon go to ken's site epic voyages and take a look at his novel And we are your co-hosts, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Mm, Good night. Saying good night from frozen Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solbury Village. Have a wonderful, I hope, warmer week. We'll see you next week.